I've been telling you for years about steel product. If you need power tools to help around the yard, to help when you go camping, to uh, help your lawn, to help prune trees, to help blow snow, to help blow leaves, you name it, steel has got it. S-T-I-H-L. Go to steelusa.com and you will see a plethora of great tools Often they are battery operated, which makes things so easy. That's the direction I always go. And you'll be amazed at how many different tools there are. Stuff you've never heard of. You go, I can use that. That will help me around my yard. And you got to go now because there are all kinds of sales going on for the holidays. Go to SteelUSA.com and pick out some presents for yourself or for Maybe your neighbor or your cousin or your uncle or whomever. You're going to get a great deal on it right now, and it's going to be a great gift for yourself or for someone else. And as I said, uh, the prices right now are great. All kinds of deals going on. Go to SteelDealers.com to find the local dealer nearest you, more than 10,000 around the country. It's Steel, S-T-I-H-L. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast. Buckle up, college football fans. We've got controversy. Credit to Florida State. They won those games even without Jordan Travis. But you can no longer honestly say they're one of the four best teams in college football. Is it Cooperstown time for number 17? Todd ought to get in. You know he should be in. And CSU basketball head coach Nico Medved with an early season preview of his squad who are off to a great start. To say, hey, we're going to be eight. So with the schedule that we had in place, I think that'd be, be hard to predict. But I really like our group, Drew. There's a lot of story that's left to be written, and, and uh, but I like where we're at. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find podcasts and tell your friends on the committee This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is show number 231. We're into December. We're into the holiday season. I hope you're getting your shopping out of the way. Love this time of year. I love this time of year, particularly from a college football standpoint. Before I talk about the uh, the final four, and I'm going to spend a few minutes on that naturally, I want to say that And I've felt this for a while, and I've probably mentioned this in the past, but perhaps I have not. I love, love, love football. That I I know I've mentioned. I love broadcasting football. A hundred years ago, I loved playing football. I love everything about the sport. I understand the changes that it has undergone. It is not as violent as it used to be. And again, um, I appreciate the changes that have been made to keep the uh, the game safer, especially from a, a head trauma standpoint. But that's not where I'm going with this. Basically, I'm comparing and contrasting the NFL, which I enjoy, to college football, which I enjoy typically at the highest level much more than I enjoy the NFL. I like watching, as I said, the NFL. I like watching a compelling matchup. I love watching the 49ers. Who doesn't? Patrick Mahomes, the Eagles now, the elite teams. But there are so many games in the NFL that are an utter bore. 9-6 at halftime. 7-6 in the third quarter. 13-10 in the fourth quarter. And, and there are just few plays where you get really excited 
plays that get you out of your chair. It's mundane at times. The atmosphere from a fan's standpoint does not match big game atmosphere in college football. And there's more scoring in college football. There's more big plays typically in college football, as long as Iowa is not involved. So, you know, given the option of watching, you know, Alabama play Georgia, even Texas play Oklahoma State, Oregon, Washington, what a game that was. Um, I'd much rather watch that than your typical NFL matchup. Yes, even Kansas City matching up with Philadelphia. The, the college games, the, the upper echelon college games, I find more entertaining. And, and that is being stated from a person that really loves the NFL. I do. I enjoy the NFL. But not in comparison to the big games uh, that we see in college football. Now, that uh, will be my segue into the college football Final Four. And I put something out uh, a couple of days ago, uh, re- really literally... Uh, you know, uh, less than an hour prior to we were, to the announcement of the the final four teams for the college football playoff with Michigan and Washington, Texas and Alabama, as we all have learned, it, it became controversial, extremely controversial, especially if you reside in Tallahassee, Florida, or have any allegiance to the Knowles, because they got uh, bumped out at thirteen and zero. And the other team that got bumped out, the two-time defending national champions, Georgia, who came into the weekend, let's not forget this, number one in the country. And so I'll begin with this, that people say it's unprecedented. We have never seen a situation in college football in the playoffs where a team that was unbeaten and champion of a Power Five Conference did not make it. Well, we'll pause right there for a moment. What are we talking about here? Ten years? You know when the college football playoff began? 2014. That's when we went to a a 14 playoff. This is not 130 years of the college football playoff. It's never happened before where Power Five champion that was unbeaten did not make the tournament. Talking about 10 years. That's it. So save me that song and dance. It is about putting the best four teams in the college football playoff. It's why we should never have gone to four. It it perhaps should have been eight from Jump Street. And I'm so excited that it'll be 12 next year because it will more replicate what we have in college basketball where we could see a Cinderella of sorts make an upset or two, or perhaps even get to a championship game. Unlikely, you know, if you're the 12th or 11th team. But who knows, right? Who knows? So I'm excited about that. But it will eliminate the injustice that understandably Florida State fans feel. It's not like I don't understand their point and and actually feel for those folks. And it begins for me with with the players and then the coaching staff. I feel, by the way, the same way about the University of Georgia football team. They lost by three to Alabama. 
They lost in, in a tight football game to Alabama. They dropped from one to five. Is there anyone out there that honestly, at their core, who views college football and watches religiously and with a degree of insight, is there anyone out there that doesn't think Georgia is one of the four best teams in America? They're on the outside looking in. If Florida State has Jordan Travis, are they one of the four best football teams in America? For me, maybe. Maybe. You you certainly can make a compelling argument. But they don't. And part of the criteria for the committee is to, and it's in their bylaws, to take into account if there's a significant injury to a contending team. And in the case of Florida State, there was. We know there was. They lost their quarterback a couple of weeks ago. They won with the number two quarterback two weeks ago. They had to play their third string quarterback, and they deserve a hell of a lot of credit. They, they managed to beat Louisville 16 to 6. Louisville's a nationally ranked team. I believe they were 16th in the nation coming in to the weekend. Are they a great football team? Were they a national championship caliber type of football team? No, they were a good team. They were, they were a good team. Not a very good team, they were a good team. And again, credit to Florida State. They won those games even without Jordan Travis. But you can no longer honestly say they're one of the four best teams in college football based on the eye test. And the eye test means something. Strength of schedule to me means something. Week in and week out, who are you playing? And whether you are from the far west or the northeast or the mid-Atlantic region or Tallahassee, Florida, you have to acknowledge that the best conference year in and year out is the SEC. It is. Look at their record. Look at the number of national championships they've won under this current format. So you mean to tell me that Florida State should have gotten in over Alabama, a team that lost early to a great Texas team and then ran the table and ahead of Georgia as well? So you mean to tell me that the final four should not have included at least one SEC team? And as I said a moment ago, Quite honestly, Georgia should feel the same way because I guarantee you they're one of the four best teams in college football. They have one of the four best rosters. In this final year, maybe more than the other nine years of the college football playoff, it screams to, we needed expansion. And fortunately, this is the last one. And, And I, again, understand the pain that Florida State fans are feeling understand the pain also that the Georgia fans are feeling because they should have a right to play in the tournament, have a right to defend their national championships. I could draw an analogy. It's like, look at the Big Ten. Michigan beat Ohio State for the third straight year, and then they played Iowa in the Big Ten championship game. Iowa, who had a nice year, can't score in an empty gym, and they got shut out. They got shut out by Michigan. If you're truly talking about the two best teams in the Big Ten, it should have been a rematch of Ohio State and Michigan. They're the two best teams. 
instead of east versus west. I have sympathy for the folks at, at, uh, at Florida State. I have sympathy for the folks at Georgia. The expansion is coming a year too late. The ACC, by the way, fought it, and then their commissioner came out and was, you know, he had to had to, you know, show his outrage. I put that in air quotes that Florida State was not included in the tournament. I'd love to. See, I mean, who wouldn't want to see Florida State this year in there and see if they can, you know, hang in? I don't think they can't without their quarterback. They just can't. You know it. And I also do think that the committee, whose goal is to put the four best teams in. They don't want to see a, a blowout in the national championship game as we saw last year. TCU had the great upset against Michigan and then got absolutely boat raced by Georgia. Nobody wants to see that. The eyeball test means something. Strength of schedule. I mentioned that earlier. Do you know what Florida State's strength of schedule was? 55th in the nation. 55. I mean, that's a whole lot of schools that played a tougher schedule than Florida State. You know, and that, mean, that means something. Alabama played a top five schedule in terms of difficulty. Texas played a very difficult schedule in terms of difficulty. And look at it this way. Those matchups that that we're going to watch in the semifinals, they get you excited. You're like, man, those are great matchups. Those are tremendous matchups. And that's the way it should be. We'll get into the Cinderella potential next year when, when that rolls around. But there's no sp- there's no place for it. Quick note on on the Pac-12. Uh, you know, I do a lot of basketball in the Pac-12, and the Pac-12 is no more. And with that conference championship game, which was wonderful to watch, Washington, Oregon, back and forth. And, and by the way, you don't think Oregon in a tournament could do damage, could get on a run? You don't think Oregon, if they play really really well? would not have a chance to be the last one standing in a 12-team tournament or even an 18 tournament. Ohio State, so there's others with, with cases uh, to be made. But going back to the Pac-12, it's sad, man. It's, it's kind of really hitting me. It just, it just pisses me off now that we'll never see Pac-12 football again and SC and UCLA and Washington and Oregon and... and you know, even in the other sports, Arizona State and USC and in baseball, um, the Olympic sports dominated by Stanford, um, basketball, Arizona, UCLA. It's, it's tragic. And I'm not going to revisit the soapbox I got on when it all went down and the blame that belongs to the presidents of many of those institutions for not having the foresight or having the arrogance to think, oh, you know, we can't fold up shop and have to go somewhere else because we're going to get paid. We're the, the, you know, the League of Champions, the Conference of Champions, the Pac-12. But it's a damn shame it's over. It is over, and we'll never see the matchups that we used to out west. So uh, I did want to make mention of that. Segwaying to always one of my favorite topics. You know, it was back in action last weekend. I know you saw it or some of it or read about it. Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods made another return. The Hero World Challenge. Just uh, the 20 or 20 of the top players in the world. Obviously, he is not one of them right now. But he made his return after ankle surgery. 
and he still believes he can win, which is always great to see Tiger. I mean, one of the greatest athletes ever. And and I had fun watching him. You know, he, he wasn't great. He finished 18th in the 20-person field, but he got a little bit better each day. You saw some great shots. You saw rust. But more importantly, he was able to walk four rounds of golf. And I came across this on the Internet, and I thought I would share some of these things. Just, it's mind-boggling how great Tiger Woods was and some of the records you may be unaware of or the achievements and accomplishments you may be unaware of or just how dominant in his prime that he was. So I wanted to share a few things that I uh, that I picked off a of site. Since 1900, this isn't like college football deal was 10 years, right? This is since 1900. That would be 123 years. Do the math for everyone. There have been only two instances of a player winning a major championship by double-digit strokes. Two. Tiger Woods by 12 in the 97 Masters. Tiger Woods by 15 in the 2000 U.S. Open at Pebble Beach. Twice in 123 years, he has them both. Between 2004 and 2006, this one, for anyone who plays golf, semi-seriously at all, think about this one. Between 04 and 06, he had 1,466 putts from three feet and in on tour. Now, if you putt things out, if you're serious about golf and it's not, you know, hey, pick it up, that's good with your buddies, which is fine. Saved me a lot of strokes over the years. But if you're if you're playing and you want to be good, you got to put everything out. Because God knows, especially me, terrible. I can't I, I miss more two feet two foot putts than anybody in America. So three feet and in. Three feet and in, fourteen hundred and sixty-six putts during those three years. He missed three. He missed three. Stop and think about that for a moment. Between 97 and 09, so that's 12 years, 13 seasons of golf. There were 52 players who played over 100 rounds in the majors. 52 players between 97 and 2009 that played over 100 rounds in the majors. The best cumulative score to par was owned by Tiger Woods. I don't think anyone's shocked by that. But listen to the numbers. He was 134 strokes under par in those 100-plus rounds in the majors. 134 under par. So you wonder, well, how, how did he do against the rest of the field? Well, number two during those 13 seasons was the Hall of Famer Phil Mickelson. Phil Mickelson was 99 strokes over par, and he was second, which means during those 13 years, Tiger Woods beat the next best player in the majors by 233 strokes. Third on the list was Ernie Els, another Hall of Famer, 
He was 118 over par. And those three were infinitely better than everyone else. Because everyone else, the other 49 players, were at least 275 strokes over par during those 13 years of the majors of guys that played 100-plus rounds. That is truly mind-boggling. want to get to Todd Helton here for a moment. Todd's candidacy came within 11 votes for the Hall of Fame last year, right? Todd ought to get in. You know he should be in. It's, it, it should be now the proverbial no-brainer. Get over the top. We'll learn in January. But I want to remind, if there happens to be a, a, a voter out there that, that somehow bumped into this podcast, listen to this, please. Todd, in his career, away from Coors Field, because that's always the, the, the argument, had an 855 road OPS. And, and OPS has become really the most important offensive number for me and for many. On base plus slugging. You do damage through slugging. You're on base, which gives your team an opportunity naturally to score more runs. He had an 855 OPS. So for those that say, oh, he did all the damage at Coors Field, you know that argument. Do you know the 855 road OPS is ahead of, I'll give you a handful of Hall of Famers, Dave Winfield, Ricky Henderson, Tony Gwynn, Rod Carew, Eddie Murray, George frigging Brett. He's hiring all those guys out on the road. So save me the Coors Field bullshit. His 386 on base percentage is ahead of Rod Carew, Tony Gwynn, Willie Mays, Harmon Killebrew, Derek Jeter, Frank Robinson, Willie McCovey, and some will say, well, you know, yeah, he was an all-star. He won, won some gold gloves, some silver sluggers. But, you know, he never, he never won an MVP. But he should have. 2000, the 2000 Major League Baseball season in the National League, the MVP that year went to Jeff Kent. In B-War, Baseball Reference War, he produced 7.2 victories above replacement level, which is an incredible season. Tip of the cap to Jeff Kent. Todd Helton is almost two games better at 8.9. In fact, second in the National League was not Jeff Kent. It was Andrew Jones at 8.2. And one footnote, during Todd's woulda, shoulda, coulda been MVP season in 2000, his road OPS that year was 1074. 1074 away from altitude. So Todd deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, and hopefully we're celebrating that uh, in January. On to college basketball. What a great game in Fort Collins last week. Two really good teams. Colorado State, they came in nationally ranked. Colorado earlier in the year had been nationally ranked. They uh, lost a game in overtime to Florida State, kind of knocked them out of the top 25. They came into Fort Collins 28th in the, in the nation, and it was a high-level tremendous college basketball game. CSU in front of uh, more than 8,000 in a sold-out, super loud Moby Arena, won 88-83. Isaiah Stevens put up 20 points and 11 assists to lead the way, uh, but there was good play on both sides of uh, 
of the ledger. And as I said, it was a super high-level game. And now Colorado State, because they continued on, they had earlier in the year beaten Creighton by 21, once beaten Creighton, top 10 team in Creighton. And then they also uh, shorthanded, really shorthanded, knocked off the University of Washington at a neutral site game. Uh, so they have now a win against an ACC program, solid program in Boston College. They have a win against a very good Big East team in Creighton. Many think they're going to go a long way in the tournament eventually. They have a win against two Pac-12 teams. I guarantee you Colorado is going to be a tournament team. And Washington is really gifted. So Nico Medved once again has things rolling in Fort Collins. Last year they were down a little bit, 15 and 17. The year before, behind Stevens and first round NBA pick David Roddy. They made a lot of noise. They were six seed uh, in the tournament. They led by 15 in the first round of the tournament against Michigan and then had a bad second half and lost to the Wolverines. But this is a really good version uh, of the Rams. And I thought uh, we'd talk a little college basketball with Nico Medved this week, who uh, recently eclipsed 100 victories now in Fort Collins and get his thoughts on uh, this year's version of the Rams. Well, Coach, let's start here. We'll start with 100 wins uh, at one stop, which uh, that's kind of be a nice, uh, a nice little feather in the cap. And, and knowing you as I do a little bit that uh, you probably could care less about it, but it is a nice uh, a nice little number, isn't it? Well, I, you know, interesting, Drew, I, I didn't, uh, after the game, I had some of the players, I got Dallas with water, and they're saying, oh, congratulations, congratulations. I'm like, well, what do you mean? You know what I mean? We won the game. And uh, um, and so, yeah, it's 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 cool to, to reflect for a second. And, um, boy, the, the Hunters win was in memorable fashion. But um, you're right. You don't really pay attention to it too as much, but it's job that I love and somehow been able to, to win a few games. Yeah, absolutely. Did you envision, let, let's start before we get into the last uh, couple of weeks, did you envision this kind of start? I think uh, you just mentioned to me uh, before we got rolling, the, the the net rankings came out the first one and, and you're, I think, six or seven in the country and you're obviously going to move up in the top 25. Uh, did, did you see, hey, we're really pretty talented, people may not realize? I thought in the summer, um, early in the fall, I really liked our group. I mean, I, our, our, we had some veteran guys. They were really coming together. I liked the way that we played, that we competed. I thought we had a chance just to get, especially I thought, you know, two years ago, we had the same kind of crew. We were, we were ranked, and, um, and I thought this group, could, could be like that and in some ways you know there were some things that were, were better but you know I knew our schedule was difficult I know how difficult it is to win any game so you never know what that's going to be like but I, I felt good and so far that's, that's, that's manifest that our guys have, have stepped up to the challenge and I thought when we had our two close scrimmages against high major opponents we competed really really well and you know, I, I thought we had a chance but to, to say, hey, we're going to be 8-0 with the schedule that we had in place, I think that'd be, be 
hard to predict, but I really like that group, Drew. Yeah, I remember I ran into you late one night. You were coming back before the season started. We ran into each other and your team at the airport, and we chatted for a little bit. You had played Oregon and Eugene that day. And again, I, I, it's a scrimmage, and uh, but I, I just gleaned that you guys felt really good about what had just occurred hours earlier. Hey, you know, we I, Isaiah Stevens did not play in the scrimmage, albeit they had one of their best players didn't play either. So I think both teams' best players were out. But the way the other guys fought and competed, I thought we had a lot of success that day. Um, it really, it really, I think we felt good about ourselves. We felt like we could compete. And um, <clears throat> I felt, you know, um, the other guys were ready. You know, the Joel Scotts, uh, Nick Clifford, Jalen Lake, Josiah Strong, Pat Cardi, all these other guys, Joe Palmer, um, and Kyan Evans, son of freshman, uh, Rashawn Memba, and it really started to, to look like they could gel and they should do it, and it, it gave us uh, it gave us some confidence going into the season. All right, I, I've got to ask you: Is there one of the last three you beat number seven slash eight Creighton by twenty one in a neutral site game? Then you have the, you know, rivalry game in a raucous Moby, 88-83, you knock off Colorado. And then shorthanded, you beat a talented Washington team in Las Vegas. You come from behind to do it. Does one stand out more than the other as you reflect? Well, that's, that's a great question. I mean, I, I think they all were memorable, but... I mean, I, I think the game against CU, you know, at, at home is just, you know, Drew, having lived here and what that game means to, to the fans and to the people. And I, and I just thought it was such a well-played game by both teams. Uh, I think Colorado's really good, and I got a lot of respect for them. So I thought the way both teams performed and to win that game at home in that environment is, uh, is, is pretty awesome. Yeah, and, and each game kind of has its own story. I want to go back to the Creighton game for a moment, and then we'll revisit uh, Colorado. At what point during the Creighton game, as it's unfolding, did you feel like, you know what, we, we're, we're going to be tough here to beat. They're, they've got a handful now to, to deal with. I thought, you know, it was interesting. That game, you know, it was like the second possession Patrick Cartier goes out of the game with a back spasm and I go down the bench and I was going to talk to Kyle Evans, you know, who's a, a, a young big kid who he thinks got a chance to be good to tell him that, Hey, you got to be ready now. And I go down the bench and I don't see Kyle. And I'm like, where the heck is Kyle? And he's in back throwing up <laughs> and, oh. and, he was Ill. and I'm like, Oh my God, what are we going to do? You know? And, uh, um, so we, we, uh, we, we found a way to, to withstand that. I thought when we got into the locker room at halftime in that game, I felt like there was that look in our guy's eye that we were going to be tough that day and we were going to fight till the, till the end. And we were really guarding at a high level and it just felt like, you know, we had a chance to go out and win that game. And I thought, you know, it would get closer than it did. Creighton's such a great team. But boy, I mean, the way our guys competed um, from the opening tip till the end was was pretty phenomenal. Yeah, and, and then you get national attention right away. I mean, you, you beat not only a, a perennially really good team, but you beat them by 21, and all of a sudden now, now you're nationally ranked, and, and now 
you know, Colorado State's on, on people's radar again. Going into the Colorado game, what is said, if anything, I mean, I, I assume the kids all get it, even though many of your kids may, didn't grow up in the Centennial State. Um, how, did, how does that week unfold or, or the preparation leading up to that Wednesday night at Moby? I think, you know, it's, it's interesting is you don't, you know, I'm not the kind of coach who's going to, you know, play the rivals fight song all week in the locker room and do all that stuff. That's not my my mentality. I I I didn't have to. I don't have to tell our guys. We have guys who are you know have been around here. Um, how big of a game that is. <laughs> I, they all understand that. Um, I think one of the things you you try to focus on is is we all know it's not just another game, but at the end of the day, it is a basketball game. You've got to focus on the things that allow you to be successful and that have allowed you to be successful so far and to try to build confidence. And I think you can get too amped up sometimes in those situations. Um, your guys are going to be amped up. So you, you got to try to also play with some joy and to have fun with that experience, with that experience, enjoy the competition. And, you know, for a kid like Nick Clifford, right, who's, who's coming over and, and these guys were his roommates, his, his friends, uh, that's a hard environment to be in. And just to try to calm him down a little bit and say, hey, let's just continue to do the things that have allowed you to be successful. And that was really the mantra. And and, and I thought our guys really rose to the challenge. And we tried not to make it bigger than it was because uh, I think when you do that oftentimes, you, you don't perform well. Yeah, I thought in a subtle way, because it happened very, very early in the game, that – Maybe the biggest shot made was Neat Clifford's three in the opening minutes of the game up top to suggest I'm going to be able to handle this environment and my personal situation really well. Because, listen, he's one of your better players. He has to play well, and he certainly did against Colorado. I, I think that's a great point, Drew. I, I agree. And I I thought he was in a great place going into the game and you're right, when that shot went in, maybe it calmed him down a little bit, but I thought emotionally he was just terrific. Um, on both, I, I don't think he um, was deviating at all um, from how he had been playing, and um, maybe that shot kind of calmed him down. But I tell you what, with everything going on, maybe in that young man's head and everything around the, the game, I just thought he handled it with a tremendous amount of maturity. And, and of course, maybe the... You know, the cigar or, uh, you know, the coup de grace, however you want to describe it, was the, you know, the, the breakaway, uh, you know, emphatic two-handed dunk. And I guess it was apropos that it was uh, it was Neat Clifford who was the guy who got the run out, huh? Pretty pretty cool moment, you know, for, for him. And obviously, yeah, even had he not played SCU, to, to have that kind of emphatic dunk that, that maybe – kind of sealed it or you felt like hey you know we're going to go and win this game uh but but to do it in that fashion what a what a cool moment for that for that kid and and uh i know one that he'll always he'll always remember and you know he i thought he handled the situation with class people asking him after the game and he had nothing but great things to to say about cu as he should his experience was was really really good there they treated him well it was just you know time for a change and He's just an amazing young man, but I, I thought he handled all of that 
um, really, really well. I know you and Tad Boyle have great mutual respect for, for one another. And I know in the aftermath and the handshake line, probably not a lot is, is offered up because, you know, one coach feels really good and one coach is, is disappointed. Was anything said in the immediate aftermath uh, between the two of you? No, you know, and I consider Tad a friend. I have a lot of respect for him and what he does, how he does it. Um, I think he runs a terrific program. Um, but no, I mean, Tad's a competitor. Yeah, <laughs> guys, sure. We're both pretty competitive guys. And so I think, you know, after the game, again, one's happy, uh, one's not, that's the way that it, that it works. I mean, I think, you know, they, they, they really stuck it to us last year in, in Boulder. And so, um, um, I think that's, uh, there really wasn't a lot said at that point. It was just, you know, hey, uh, we're going to enjoy it. And I think they uh, obviously moved on from it after a day, and uh, they're going to have a great season. Yeah, they're, they're really good. I've seen them a few times and, and can't handle their games a few times. They're, they're going to be very, very good. Do you, do you and Tad, real quick, do you guys talk at all in the off season? Obviously, two different conferences. Um, I don't know if you run into each other on the recruiting trail at all, but, but do you visit a little bit, compare notes, compare and contrast stuff? I, I think so. Ted and I talk, a, you know, we'll talk on the phone every every once in a while and, um, you know, pick, or, pick each other's brains about certain things and see each other on the road and talk to each other and, you know, just about the state of affairs and college basketball and, and all those things. And so, again, I, I think uh, I have a lot of respect for him and, and what he does, and I'm I'm glad that we've been able to, to play this game, and um, hopefully we can continue to do it moving forward. Yeah. So, Washington, were you concerned, even though Washington's a you know a Power 5 team with a talented roster, you're in Vegas, the, the high of, of knocking off Colorado, and then you end up shorthanded uh, again early on, Nick Clifford gets thrown out. Are you wondering, oh, man, this is the proverbial trap game? <laughs> well, I, I I knew going into the game, that, you know, I, watching Washington, they're very very talented, they're athletic. They had, you know, they had lost a heartbreaker to San Diego State. Uh, probably did not play very well early on against Nevada, um, but they look like they have the makings of, of being an NCAA tournament, you know, caliber team. I knew how big of a game it was for for both schools, a huge game for them, and. Um, yeah, you know, we knew we were going to be up without Jalen Lake. You know, he played with a, you know, broken broken finger against Colorado, which is really, really heroic stuff. And played and played great. And played great. I mean, just a unbelievable, just a legendary performance by him. And um, we knew we were going to be without him. And then Nick Clifford gets thrown out, and just ah, well, that's for another day. But really, really bizarre situation and then you know say Stevens picks up his third foul with five minutes to go in the first half but I think maybe more than ever our guys showed who they are they really really responded and rallied and fought their fought their tails off and gave themselves a chance to to win and that's as tough of a win as I've as I've ever had and really a testament to our guys of just not wilting and finding a way to win and um I'm really, really proud of our guys. But, yeah, that, that got through. I mean, early on in that game, it was like, what is going on here? But we just never we just never wilted. We just said, you know what, let's go. Let's find a way. Let's let's galvanize. And, um, so far, this group's handled adversity really well. That takes us to uh, a guy that he's seemingly been up there forever. He's a great player, and, and he was and he was 
pretty darn good the moment he arrived from Allen, Texas. And that's Isaiah Stevens. And I'd like you to talk, I know you talk a lot about him, but I really would like you to break down not only who this kid is on the court, but I've had the opportunity to visit with him a little bit off the court. I've observed him. He He's different, isn't he? And I mean that, and I mean that in a super positive way, obviously. Yeah, I mean he's he's so he's just special, Drew. I I just don't know how I could even throw around enough accolades. Um, he's a tremendous leader, a tremendous person, and you know I tell you he's a, you know he's playing as well as any guard in the country right now, and he's a better person than he is player. I mean he just uh, he has the it factor in, in every way. He's incredibly coachable. He's an incredible competitor. He's an incredible person off the court in the community. He's incredibly loyal. He's just one of those guys that, you know, you may never coach again in your career, you know, and you know just how, how special he is. He's a once-in-a-lifetime kind of guy. And so just the, the legacy that he's already cemented here is just uh, uh, one that's going to be hard to hard to surpass. And obviously we've got a, a whole season still in, in front of us, but – um, to have that kind of guy in your program, leading your program, uh, you know, really makes me look like I know what I'm doing. Well, he he's he's gotten you know he was he was really good to begin with, as everybody who follows Colorado State knows, and he just keeps getting better. I feel like, and correct me if I'm not observing this right, I feel like from distance he's shooting it better than he ever has. He, yeah, I just have a tremendous amount of, of confidence. And, and swagger. He, he, he's always put in the work. I think even him going through the, the MBA process after the year, I think was really, really good for him um, to, to see that. And um, I think I think it does two things, right? It builds confidence in yourself that, hey, I, I can go in and compete, you know, against the best. Um, but, hey, it also shows me, hey, I've got some things i got to get better at. I've got to get better on the defensive end. There's a whole other level of um, to my skill, my stop making, uh, my conditioning, taking care of myself that I have to get to. And, and I think he's embraced all of that um, and taken it to, to another level. And there, through the, a guy like him, and, you know, I, I compare it, fans down the road might know, it's like McKinley Wright, right? At, at CU, who kind of had a little bit of that too, was for a lot of that. There's nothing they haven't they, they've been through it all. They've been through the ups, the downs. Um, they've, everything that's happened to them in a game is something that they've seen before. And they just give your team a tremendous amount of poise and confidence. You know, it's fascinating about what you said. Tad has told me in the past, or, you know, when McKinley was there, that he, he, he literally said what you just said about Isaiah. He said he's a once-in-a-lifetime uh, kid that you coach. Um, you, it's not like, okay, maybe in a couple of recruiting cycles down the road, I'll get another one like him. He goes, this is a once in a lifetime type of kid. And, uh, and obviously you just said the same thing about uh, Isaiah. One of the fascinating things that, that you've done there is we, there's not a day that goes by that people who are not involved in sports, particularly college basketball and college football, don't mention the transfer portal. And it's all the rage right now because of college football. Um, you've hit the portal, but you've gone and recruited the, the top flight D2 and in, and in one case, a D3 kid with great success. How did you come to that? 
Ah, that's a great question. I I uh, I think you know we all need talent. We all know this. I mean, this is a, a you know there's talent acquisitions a, a a huge part of this, but I think sometimes we also miss on productivity. <laughs> And you can get carried away too much by by just talent and not productivity. Um, I think that you learn and you know how good the basketball is at the Division Two level or the highest levels of Division Three. I've coached in Division Three. I've you know been around and know so many of the guys at the Division Two level and know how they run their programs and know how they coach. And it's just it's it's very clear when you're able to produce and be a high level player at a great program at the Division II level, um, those things translate. Um, I think Patrick Cartier figured that out really, really quickly. You know, his offensive skill and what he was able to do, he could do that at the highest level of Division One. And, you know, Joel Scott was, in my opinion, the best player in the nation at the Division Two level, and he hasn't flinched a bit, you know, and he, he got here, and I told him right away, you know, people are going to tell you, well, you know, you, you've got to this is going to be different and you've got to do this and that. And I told him, no, you don't. I said, you just have to continue to do the things that have allowed you to be the player that you've been. And you're going to find out quickly you can do that at the highest level of Division One, And so far that's held true. And the other thing here that's maybe a little bit different is what I've loved, all those kids are so appreciative. You know, they just – they're so appreciative of being at this level and they're so excited about every day. And, you know, not that other guys aren't, but I tell you what, it's, it's really refreshing. Joe, that takes me to something that I, you know, if you ask my boys who are all uh, played ball in college, you say, you know, what is, what is I, what do I value the most? And it's toughness. And it's kind of, I, I always phrase it by chip on the shoulder guy. And I'll, and I'll take, for you, a basketball team, 12, 15 guys on your roster, I, I know this about you. You'll take 12 or 15 guys that have a chip on their shoulder over 12 or 15 pretty guys every day of the week, right? I, I, I agree with that. And I think that, again, every team that wins has talent. But the ones that really win are the ones that you said have that toughness, that togetherness, that something to prove. Um uh, can sacrifice something in their own game for the team. Uh, those are the teams that really, really win. And so you've got to try to find that, uh, that combination on your team. And, you know, we've been able to find that in, in, in some of those guys. And then, you know, Nick Clifford's a transfer that, um, it was a good fit for, for him to, to come here. And, and they, a guy like him feels like he has something to prove too. Um, and, and I think we've been able to, to find that. And, and, uh, but you're right. It, some of those, the, the Joel Palmers coming from Division Three, the Pat Cartier and Joel Scott coming from Division II, um, they've got some toughness, some competitiveness, and clearly they've been able to show that from a talent perspective, they can do it on this level. Yeah. The, the kid from Austria, I don't know his complete background, but that kid looks like he's, Mbemba is going to be a, a heck of a player. He, uh, he is. He's, he's, a, he's a competitor. Tough. He's a little bit older, right? So he's a little bit older, a couple years older than your typical freshman coming in from from uh, from overseas. But his his physicality um, for a young player has been great, and he's he's really played with no fear. It's been interesting to to see him come in and right away in that Creighton game when he was going to have to step in and and play a major role with Cartier going out, and 
he did the same thing in CU with Cartier being out, has, has really played well for us. And that's exciting. And I think his game, he also has the ability to shoot a little bit from the perimeter. And, uh, he's a good national rebounder, and as the game continues to slow down for him, uh, he's got a really bright future. When I look at him, he reminds me, even facially, he reminds me of uh, of David Roddy, who's, who's now doing nice things for the Memphis uh, Grizzlies. Um, have you compared and contrasted? I know when we started this conversation, you did mention that great team you had a couple of years ago. Uh, is it fair or unfair, um, or is it natural for a coach to think back and go, okay, we're, we're as good here, we're not as good here? Um, how, how do you compare and contrast the two? And I know the resume is still being uh, written as we speak on this particular club that you're coaching. Well, I, I, I think, you know, Rashawn and David, you know, the similarities are they, they do look the same <laughs> as far as physically. They, uh, they wear the same number. Um, they're both incredibly physical guys. Um, um, they move their feet really well for a guy their size. I think, though, you know, David was a unicorn. I mean, the level of athleticism that David had, the, the lift, um, the pot was just something that, again, is, kind of maybe once in generational kind of guy that you get with that kind of size and athleticism. And so it's probably not a fair comparison that way, but there's a lot of things Rashawn, you know, brings to the, brings to the table um, that, that David has. But as far as athleticism goes, I mean, David is a, David's a unicorn. Yeah. How about the teams overall? I mean, do you go there? I don't, I try not to, you know, as, as, Every team's got their own heartbeat, their own makeup. That group two years ago was a group that had been together for a long time and, you know, got left out of the NCAA tournament that, that COVID year and, um, you know, probably thought they, they got a raw deal with the schedule that was handed to them at the end of the year and probably a last-second shot at Nevada cost us the NCAA tournament, but they really came back with something to prove and, um, obviously David, we had an NBA first rounder on our roster. Um, this group, you know, maybe has a little bit more athleticism overall. Um, it, uh, you know, probably don't have an NBA first rounder, but, but is a, is a terrific team. And so, um, they're both terrific in their own right. And, and again, the team two years ago, Drew, they, they did it, right? I mean, they came and, um, we're only beginning of December right now. So we've right. still got a lot of basketball to be played, and, and that group was able to do it throughout the, the course of the season. And so uh, there's a lot of story that's left to be written, and, and uh, but I like where we're at. Yeah. Well, last last couple real quick, Nico, and always appreciate it. San Diego State playing in the national championship game. Uh, did, did that help Colorado State in the fact that when you're selling a kid on the Mountain West and say, hey, you know, four teams in the tournament, one team in the national championship game, or, or is that just, uh, you know, not mentioned really? Well, I, I think it does. I don't think without, without question. I, I remember when I was an assistant on um, the last couple of years here, you know, we had four teams and then five teams in the NCAA tournament. And then the league, you know, kind of took a little bit of a dip. It was still really good, but, but it, it wasn't on the same level. Now we've just come back to back years with four teams in the tournament San Diego State makes that run to the national championship game. I think it's critical. We we want to keep that going and solidify ourselves, you know, with the Pac-12 dissolving, solidify ourselves as one of the top six basketball leagues in the country. And clearly, you know, 
Um, the last couple of years, we've been number number seven, um, and I think we need to continue to do that. So I think those things are huge. I think that recruits can view this league as, you know, you're going to have access to the NCAA tournament. You're going to play in front of huge crowds. Um, you know, if you're an all-league player in the Mountain West, you're an NBA caliber, caliber player. And so this is high major basketball. <laughs> you know, this is not this is not mid major basketball and um I think the proof is, is in the pudding and without question we sell that to our recruits. Absolutely. Uh Nico, it's been fun to watch. Uh I know uh a, a ton of fans, not only the ones that uh, have been fortunate enough to be in Moby lately, but uh from watching from around the region. Uh, have, have gotten a lot of joy out of what this uh, group has done and, and, and really the, the run you guys have had over the last several years. I, I wish you good health, you happy holidays, continued success, man. Hey, same to you, Drew. Uh, I always appreciate you and, and, and how you cover sports here in the region. You got it. Take care, and we'll, uh, we'll talk soon. Look forward to seeing you. Thanks, Nico. Thank you. I've always been a big fan of... Uh, of Nico Medved, good guy, just like Tad Boyle. They do it the right way. They're extremely likable. Their players love them. They have created a winning culture, a family-like culture, and I know some of that is cliche, but it's accurate. Look no further than the great Isaiah Stevens. He could have gone somewhere else. He had one year of eligibility left. He he put his name in the NBA hat, and, and because of that rule where you can after getting information, you can remove yourself. He did that. And instead of saying, well, you know what? I want to go play for UCLA or Arizona or, you know, Kansas. I mean, he, anybody would have taken him. He is an elite, elite point guard. He said, I want to stay in Fort Collins. It's a special kid, man. He's so, he, he's not only really gifted, but you heard, Nico Medved talking about him, and and I've been around him enough to know that that it's not just coach speak. He he does have the it factor, and he's a from all indication just a wonderful guy. But uh, he's a hell of a player. Tad Boyle, uh, interestingly, about four years ago when he first saw Isaiah Stevens and they were getting ready to play Colorado State, he said that Stevens is legit. He knew, as a, you know, as good coaches would know, uh, just watching tape, how good he was. But congrats to Nico Medved. Um, they're rolling. Uh, Tad Boyle's team, I just had them again uh, the other day. Uh, they had a, uh, a blowout victory against Pepperdine. They're going to make a lot of noise. Uh, so it's great to see college basketball in our state being played at, at a super high level again with the two programs. And once again, big thanks to, uh, to Nico Medved. Um, and if you get an opportunity, get on up to Moby Gym. It's the way it should be. I still call it Moby Gym, but Moby Arena. Super loud, and you're going to see a super gifted team uh, play led by one of the best guards in America in Isaiah Stevens. Oh, quick uh, basketball thought from the NBA. I love watching the Nuggets. I love watching Jokic. Need Murray to get uh, fully healthy. I could care less about this in-season tournament. I don't know if I'm missing something. And it's not just that the courts are, you know, are, are, are beaming so brightly you can't see. I, I, don't, I don't care about an in-season tournament. And I know they're trying to create more interest in November and December games because the season is so long. I get that. But I don't care. I could, don't tell me, oh, this is, a, this is more important. It's, a, it's part of the 
in-season tournament tonight when the Nuggets played the Houston Rockets or the LA Clippers does nothing for me. Zero. We'll get on out of here and we'll do it again as we always say in seven days. Get that shopping done. Enjoy your families, everyone, and uh, we'll talk soon. Take care. 